0: This is the Old Radio
1: Show's podcast. Yeah, it wasn't a pretty picture. His throat had been slit not more than a minute ago. I started around the corner of the warehouse after the killer. All of a sudden, I spread eagles in the air. Then my head splattered on the pier and a million stars exploded in front of my eyes. And then all the lights went out.
2: The new adventures of Michael Shane, private detective. Michael Shane, reckless red headed Irishman, back again at his old haunts in New Orleans. This is your director, Bill Russo, inviting you to listen to another transcribed episode, which we call The Case of of The Generous Killer.
1: Cotton tax bill urged by... How much difference does that make to a guy who's broke? The manhunt for police slayer Victor grows. Never any good news anymore. now. No. Weatherman predicts more rain. Well, maybe I... beg your pardon? I I didn't hear you come in. I
3: I didn't mean to scare you. (laughs) Sign on your office door said enter. So I did.
1: Oh. Yeah.
3: Well, have a seat. No, thanks. I always like to stand. Oh? (laughs) When you're only five feet tall, you prefer to stand.
1: Suit yourself. What can I do for you? Uh, here. That's a hundred dollar bill.
3: Yes, for you. Me? What for? I don't know much more about it than you, Mr. Shane.
1: Look, you must, because I don't know anything about it.
3: How come you're giving me a hundred dollar bill? Oh, I'm not giving it to you. It's not mine. Oh,
1: wait a minute. Let's not play guessing games.
3: Well, all I know is that a man gave me this to give you and gave me one just like it for doing it. A man who? A passenger on the Star of Bermuda.
1: Oh, the Star of Bermuda. Look, friend, I think you better start at the beginning. You're leaving me way behind.
3: Well, I know it doesn't make much sense, but all I can tell you is what happened. I'm ship's cook on the Star of Bermuda. It's a tramp steamer. Yeah. Uh, we docked here at New Orleans yesterday, and we're shoving off a dawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just about an hour ago, a little before dark it was, a passenger came aboard. But did he give you his name? No. Oh, fine. Uh, he just paid me to bring you this $100 bill. But didn't he say
1: why? Didn't he tell you what he wanted me to do? I'm coming to that. Well, let's have it. What is it?
3: Mr. Shane, he's paying you the 100 to come and arrest him.
2: In a moment, we'll return to Mike Shane and the case of the generous killer.
1: Well, the day had made perfect sense, up to now. I'd had my ham and eggs bright and early, spent most of the morning in the courthouse checking on some records for a client, most of the afternoon explaining them to him. So there I was, a little after dark, sitting in my office, peacefully reading the newspaper when a pint-sized ship's cook from a tramp steamer eases into my office, gives me a $100 bill, and tells me a passenger on his boat sent it to me so I'd come down and arrest him. After which, the little guy leaves, and I spend about half an hour trying to figure out the deal. Well, I finally gave up, because nothing about it made sense. Except, of course, one thing. The $100 bill. As far as I was concerned, that made very good sense. Seemed like a pretty good reason for me to mosey down to the Star of Bermuda. So I slipped the hundred-buck bill into the solitary confinement of my wallet and went down to the waterfront. The Star of Bermuda was just about the tackiest-looking tramp I've seen in a long while. I went up the gangway. The only sign of life was a deckhand lounging against the rail. Hello. Yeah. You, uh, got a passenger aboard? Yeah. Where's his cabin? Aft. How far aft? Stern? Oh, look, Chatterbox, do you mind telling me just where? I'm no sea scout. Only cabin. Can't miss it. Probably a light on Oh, no, wait a minute. Don't hope it do. You better stop for a breath. Thanks. Welcome. I started walking toward the stern, my footsteps echoing on the deck. And then, sure enough, I saw a stab of light coming from under a cabin door. No answer. Still no answer. Hmm. Unlocked. Then I stopped. It looked like my client had decided he couldn't wait to be arrested. He was hanging at the end of a rope, swinging gently back and forth with the motion of the ship, and he was very dead. I took a long look at the guy, and then I got a very smart idea, which was to get out of there and get out fast. But it was no good. When I got to the door, I ran right into something black and bullish. Only this bull didn't have horns. Who is he, Shane. You'll probably find this hard to believe, Inspector, but I don't know. Dykes, cut him down and search him. Yeah, okay. Let's
4: try it again, Shane. Who is he?
1: I'm stuck with the same answer, fever. I'd never laid eyes on him until about ten seconds before you got here. Yeah. All I know is this guy sent me a hundred-buck bill by of the ship's cook to come down here and arrest him. Okay, so I came down. Here he was, hanging. Didn't
4: send word why he wanted to be arrested? Nope. Hmm. Wonder if we knew the net was closing in, thought he'd have a better shake his way. Yeah, I don't
1: follow you. You know who this guy is or was?
4: Dikes.
0: No identification, Inspector.
4: Mm hmm. There's your answer, Sheen. Yeah, but maybe you've got a hunch. This could be our boy. We don't know. No
1: way to tell now. Well, oh, he must have given a name when he reserved his cabin. Ziegler. Doesn't mean a thing. Might as well be who I am. You, uh, wouldn't care to tell me who you think he might be?
4: That's right. Huh? I wouldn't.
1: Oh. Well, boys, this has been nice. I think maybe, though, I better be getting back to town. That is, of course, if you don't mind.
4: Oh, we don't mind. We got nothing on you, Shane. Not now. Well, it might be a good idea for you to get back to town. Only just don't leave town, hmm?
1: Well, of course, all I could do at that point was send Inspector Lefevre an RSVP to his cordial invitation to remain in New Orleans. My RSVP read, yes, Inspector. About then, the coroner arrived, and I followed the inspector and Sergeant Dykes down the gangway and along the pier to the street at the end where their car was. There was a little lunch counter nearby with a few assorted floaters lounging around. Among them, a skinny, nervous, slippery character, appropriately nicknamed the Weasel. a guy who made his living selling information and anything else he could steal. As I walked by the stand, Weasel looked at me, rolled his cigarette from one side of his mouth to the other, let one of his eyelids droop a little. I got the message. I watched the two plane clothesmen drive away, and sure enough, pretty soon, the weasel eased over to me.
5: Hello, Mikey. What's on your mind? want to talk to you. What about? It's big, Mikey. And crooked. Nah, Mikey, you got it wrong. It's big and, uh, and level. That'll be the day. Oh, I'm giving it to you straight. It's hot, Mikey.
1: Okay, come on, we'll go have a cup of coffee. Nah.
5: Too many people. Come on. I know where we can talk.
1: I followed Weasel partway out on the pier again to a deserted warehouse. He slid the door open and motioned me to follow. It was dark as pitch inside, but that seemed to be the way Weasel wanted it.
5: Now we can talk, Mikey. Okay, start. It's a. Uh, it's about the guy hanging from the rope. Huh? What about him? That's what I'm telling you. I go aboard that boat to see an old pal, so I'm looking for him. Back aft, this, uh, this cabin door is open a little, so uh, <laughs> I look inside, and there's a guy swinging by his neck. Well, don't leave me there. Oh, gee, it really rocks you to see something like that. But then, in a minute, I, uh, I kind of got a hold of myself, and I go on in, and I. Uh, I sort of searched the guy. Why? Why? Because, well, I figured I... I want to find out who he is. Yeah, you mean you
1: figure you'll lift his wallet.
5: Oh, no, Mikey. You
1: know, that's about the one thing I figured you'd draw the line at. Robbing a dead man. I told no, you I but was... but a... I was wrong, I guess. I quit trying to sell that yarn about wanting to find out who he is. Well,
5: okay, okay, Mikey. The fella's got to make a buck somewhere. But... But I did find out who the guy is, Mikey. All right, let's have it, then. There were some papers in his wallet. Letters, stuff like that, and they, uh... They show that this guy is Victor Groves.
1: Victor Groves. The name hit me like a bulldozer. All of a sudden, a lot of things started making sense. His name was in the headlines because Victor Groves was a hired killer, but he was only a name. Nobody had ever seen him except his victims, and they naturally were never in a position to identify him. But why Victor Groves had sent the money to me to arrest him... Why he decided to hang himself before I got there still didn't add up. And neither did Weasel's angle in
5: lifting the papers. Don't you get the pitch, Mikey? You and me, we're the only ones who know the stiff as Victor Groves. So? So? So there ought to be a payoff. The cops probably fork over something to find that out. So then they could call off the hunt.
1: Got it all figured out, haven't you, Weasel?
5: Sure, sure. I, uh, I don't dare go near the cops, but, uh, <laughs> you can... So you handle the arrangements and uh, and we split the take. Right down the middle, huh?
1: I'll uh have to think it over.
5: Think it over nothing. We gotta work fast.
1: All right, give me the papers, honey.
5: Oh, no, no, no. Weasel, weasel keeps the papers. Come
1: on, come on, let's have them. Now, Mikey. Give them to me or it's no deal. But,
5: Mikey, I give them I seat. Okay, okay. Only, uh how do I know I can trust you? You don't. Oh, <laughs> always always kidding, eh, yeah, Mikey?
1: Yeah. Always kidding. Look, I'll get in touch with you tomorrow morning near the lunch stand. I'll give you my answer then. In the meantime, I'll keep the papers in a safe place. I put the wallet in my pocket and stepped back out on the pier. Weasel stood watching me as I started down the pier. I wondered if he had a hunch about what was going on in my mind. If he did, there was going to be trouble. Because what was going on in my mind was I was going to march right down to police headquarters and turn those papers in. Yeah, Michael was going to be very law-abiding this time. And then something happened that froze me in my tracks. It was a scream from 50 yards behind me, from Weasel. I whirled around. The scream ended in a horrible gurgle. I pounded back toward him, but he had already crumpled up over on the pier. Even in the dim light, I could see his throat had been cut very recently. I started around the warehouse after the killer. All of a sudden, I was spread eagled in the air, and my head splattered on the pier, and a million stars exploded in front of my eyes. And then all the lights went out.
2: In a moment, we'll return to Mike Shane and the case of the generous killer.
1: It all started when a hundred-dollar bill was dropped on my desk by a five-foot-high ship's cook who told me a passenger on a tramp steamer wanted me to come down and arrest him. So I went and found the passenger swinging from the end of a rope. Inspector Lefevre arrived about then and found no identification on him. Then pretty soon a slippery character named Weasel led me into a warehouse and told me he'd lifted the papers from the dead man. Papers that proved the guy was Victor Gross, a hired killer that nobody'd ever seen. I got the papers away from Weasel and started down the pier. Weasel got his throat cut. I ran around the warehouse after the killer when a hand grabbed my ankle and I knocked myself out on the pier. And then, after a while, the haze started thinning out a little. And there I was, riding along in the backseat of a squad car with one of LaFever's boys, Sergeant Dykes. Shane, what are you trying to do? Shake down the police force? Shake down it? Now, wait a minute, Dice. Let's have it slow and clear, and from the beginning. Okay.
0: Only maybe I won't be telling you anything you don't already know. A couple of weeks ago, Victor Gross killed one of the boys on the force. Yeah,
1: I read the papers.
0: Then we find you standing in the stateroom watching a man swinging at the end of a rope. Look,
1: Sergeant, I told you the ship's cook brought me a hundred-buck bill from this passenger to come down and arrest him.
0: Uh Uh-uh. When we left you, we drove around the block and walked back to the ship. Cook tells us he hasn't been ashore all day. Well, he's lying! Says he hardly ever goes ashore. Hates land, weighs a shade over 300 and has trouble getting around. 300? The ga- Oh, no! Oh, yeah. So, we start down the gangway going to look for you. But you save us the trouble. There's a scream farther out on the pier and then someone running. He got out and find a stoolie named Weasel lying dead and you unconscious. Then we find Victor Gross identification papers on you. I got them from the weasel. He lifted them from the dead man. Oh, yeah, yeah, Look, Dykes, you got it all wrong. Gross committed suicide. It don't boil, Shane. The knots in the rope and some of the bruises on Gross's neck told us it was no suicide. It was murder. He was strangled. Well, about that time, I was willing to
1: sell my social security number very cheap. Two murders, with me sitting in the chief suspect's chair on both of them. I guess it was a little after one in the morning when my cell door opened and clanged shut again. I looked up. Inspector Lefevre was standing there.
4: Shane. Hello, Inspector. Let's talk.
1: Why, it's been a losing game for me so far. Seems to be quite a case against you. Yeah, according to just about everybody but me. Look, Inspector, I didn't kill Groves. I didn't lift his papers, and I didn't kill the weasel. That might be kind of hard to prove. About the weasel, that is. And maybe somebody will tell me how I managed to slit his throat, get rid of the knife, and then knock myself out. Mm-hmm. You could have managed it.
4: <sighs> okay, okay. But I don't think you did. But What? No, I don't think you killed the weasel, and I'm pretty sure you didn't kill Victor Groves. Well,
1: well what do you think I've been trying to tell your boys all night?
3: Yeah.
4: You know, Shane... The passenger who was choked to death? We identified him. He is not Victor Groves. He's not Groves? Mm Mm-mm. Well, then...
1: Then it adds up why Weasel was killed. Because the real Victor Groves found out Weasel had lifted the papers from the dead man and thought Weasel still had them.
4: Could have been that way.
1: It has to be that way, Inspector. Look, Victor Groves knows you're out to get him, so he gets a drifter from the waterfront into that stateroom on the tram steamer. He kills the guy, plants his own papers on him, strings him up to make it look like suicide, and then he... Hey... Wait a minute. That little guy who brought me the 100 said he was the ship's cook. He must have been the real Victor Groves. That's
4: the way it's beginning to look, Shane. He wants you to come down, discover the body. Then everybody thinks Groves committed suicide, the case is closed, and the pressure's off the real Groves. That little guy.
1: Who would have ever figured that he... I can't even remember much what he yeah, looked we'll try to remember, will you? Yeah, but I, I wasn't paying much attention. I remember he was very small. What about the face? Oh, Thin face, straight nose, dark eyes. All right. We're releasing you, Shane. Well, I won't say it's about time, Inspector, but it is about time. I... Hey, wait a minute. Hmm? Anyone besides the police force know that the dead passenger's been identified as someone other than Gross? No. That's what I thought. And something else. Does anyone know I've been arrested and don't have Groze's papers on me anymore? Nobody outside knows that Thanks a lot, I'll stay here Mm -mm. We're letting you go I like it here all of a sudden You can't stay here, sir Look, I know what you've been leading up to As far as Gross is concerned, I've still got the papers Mm -hmm. You think I'm gonna walk the streets of New Orleans waiting for him to make a pass at me? We do. Uh, get yourself another boy. This one just quit. One of our boys will tell you he'll grab Groves if Groves comes after you. Look, Inspector, you don't know what you're asking me to
4: do. You're wrong there, Shane. I know just what I'm asking you to do. Make a target out of yourself. Do you know why? I don't care why.
1: I'm not going to... Because
4: do... a killer's still running around loose. A killer nobody can identify. And he'll strike again soon because he guns not only for hire but for pleasure. He's vicious. He's got to be stopped and this is one way that might work. Now, how about it?
1: Look, Inspector, you and your boys have been giving me a rough time. You throw me in a clink, you... Okay, I'll do it.
0: Well, this ought to do, Shane.
1: Sure, Dykes. One place is as good as another. You got it straight now. Too straight. I'm to go back to my office building and start out alone on foot.
0: Right. Keep away from crowds and keep away from the brightly lit streets. Oh, fine. What am I supposed to do, roost in a dark alley somewhere? Just keep away from the bright lights. And get this. When you leave your office building, walk south a the block. Then go any direction you want, because that's the point our boys start tailing you from. One block south of your office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-oh, uh, uh, there's one more thing. What is it? (laughs) Good luck.
1: I found an all-night cab stand and grabbed a taxi back to my office building. Just as I was going to start walking, a woman came out of the building and crossed the street. A short woman. And then as I stood there watching her, it dawned on me. As I turned north in sort of a daze, I was realizing my job was just twice as tough as I'd thought. Because it had just hit me that Victor Groves was plenty small enough to pass for a woman. By the time I digested that pleasant thought, I realized I was about a block and a half from my office. I slowed down, looked around. The streets were pretty deserted. I spotted the car as soon as it turned the corner and came toward me very slowly. I stopped. The car kept coming. I was hoping Inspector Lefebvre's boy was awfully close and ready. Then the car was slowing still more. I got opposite me. It, it stopped. The window toward me started rolling down, but I couldn't see inside, so I waited, and then...
3: Hey, but, how do I get to St. Louis Street from here?
1: I told him. stood there watching him drive away took out my handkerchief and mopped my face a little. Then I started walking again. A little lady with a tray of flowers had been standing near the entrance of a bar, started crossing the narrow street toward me. I stopped. She had a shawl over her head, and she was short. I stood there and watched as she came up to me.
3: A flower, monsieur? A flower for your lapel, perhaps?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure, you... Working late tonight.
3: Oh, oui, I always work late. Here, a nice carnage.
1: Okay, thanks, here. Yeah.
3: Oh, merci, monsieur. Oh, but monsieur, it is too much. Monsieur!
1: But I was already around the corner. I didn't somehow care about staying in one place too long. The thing was getting to me a little. It seemed like all the inhabitants of New Orleans that I'd seen in the last half hour had shrunk about six inches suddenly. Like, like the guy coming down the sidewalk told me right now. I couldn't tell where he'd come from He was just suddenly there I was right near the mouth of an alley And for a minute I was tempted to dive into it But I just stood there waiting He was taking his time Like the other people I'd waited for I I couldn't see his face It was pretty close now For the third time I was hoping Lefebvre's boy Had the situation well in hand Then the guy was right in front of me Hey
5: pal Happen to have a light
1: on you? I still couldn't see his face I couldn't tell from his voice, so I took a match out of my pocket. I held it out and scratched it with my thumbnail. A little flame squirted up and outlined his face. It was a round face. It didn't belong to Victor Groves. The guy puffed a couple of times on a cigarette, thanked me, and walked off. I leaned against the building for a minute. as having that let down feeling of relief again when I heard the dog whimpering with pain in the alley behind me, I didn't even hesitate. I walked into the alley. As soon as I did, I realized there was no dog. There never had been. It was just a little too late, though. A hand shot around my throat. I could feel the point of a knife in my ribs. And there was a soft voice in my ear.
3: Well, Mr. Shane, we meet again, don't we?
2: In a moment, we'll be back with a thrilling climax to tonight's Michael Shane adventure.
0: Well, there
1: wasn't much I could say. That hand around my throat told me I wasn't supposed to say anything. Victor Gross had gotten to me at last. Inspector Lefebvre's boy was nowhere in sight. And now, Mr. Shane, the
3: identification papers, please. I don't have them on me, Victor. Please. I have very little time. I tell you, I don't have them on me. They're not in your office. I have searched it thoroughly. You do not have them on you, so I have wasted my time following you. But uh, perhaps it will not be entirely a waste of time, Mr. Shane. What do you mean? Simply that under the circumstances, I fortunately have no other alternative but to dispose of you. Oh,
1: look. Quiet. I had heard the scuffling steps a second or two before and was hoping Gross hadn't heard them, but he had we just stood there in the alley, and I knew if I made a single sound, I'd get that knife, all six inches of it. The steps came nearer to the mouth of the alley, and they turned into the alley, and a little figure loomed up in front of us. Jack! The scream pulled Groza's eyes off me just long enough. I swung my elbow back hard. I was lucky. The knife went flying across the alley. Then I got hold of one of those fingers that were wrapped around my throat. I put everything I had into it, It's just enough. The fingers snapped and my hand fell away and I swung my fist hard. the Gross bounced off the wall and flopped to the ground and lay still. Just then a flashlight stabbed into the alley. A big guy followed it in. It was Lefebvre's boy. So everything was okay. And then then I remembered the little old woman. She was cowering over on one side of the alley. Trembling. (laughs) I went over to her. It was the flower lady. Of all the people I was expecting, you weren't the one.
3: But... I was following you. I saw you enter the alley from down the block. Yeah, but why? You would not stop. I called to you. You gave me too much money, monsieur. What
1: are you talking about? I gave you a buck and told you to keep the change. But that is just
3: it, monsieur. It was not one dollar. It was a hundred dollar bill. What? I knew you had made a mistake. I had to return it to you.
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) i You know that it's quite a nice touch, Gross's on own hundred-buck bill is the thing that traps him. What, monsieur? Uh, nothing, nothing. Look, do me a favor. Keep the door, will you? I kind of think you earned it. Well, that was just about that. Except I had a bone to pick with Inspector Lafive. Later in his office, I brought it up. You know, that plainclothesman of yours who was supposed to be tailing me, Inspector, he wasn't exactly Johnny on the spot. I was beginning to think he'd never show up. He almost didn't, but it wasn't his fault.
4: He was lucky to find you at all. What do you mean? You remember what your instructions were
1: about leaving your office tonight? Yeah, I was to walk south a block, and your boy would start tailing me from there. Right. You, uh... Maybe you had a lot on your mind when you left your office, huh? Yeah, I'll say. I just realized Groves might be disguised as a woman, I guess. I... Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I... I... You walked north instead of south. <laughs> you mean all that time your your boy wasn't even close? That's right. You were all alone. <laughs> uh, Inspector. Hmm? You, uh... Nowhere I could get a good compass cheap.
2: This is your director, Bill Russo, again. Our story is based on characters created by Brett Halliday. The music is composed and conducted by John Duffy, and Michael Shane is portrayed by Jeff Chandler. The New Adventures of Michael Shane is a Don W. Sharp production transcribed in Hollywood and distributed exclusively by the Broadcasters Guild. Next week, you'll hear Michael Shane in another thrilling adventure from mysterious and colorful New Orleans.